Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode of Let's Be Direct. This is a Lane Access podcast in which we discuss all things trucking, supply chain, and the future of the industry, which, as we know, is going direct. I'm Andrew Rivera, head of marketing for Lane Access, joined again by Lane Access founder and CEO Rick Burnett. And, uh, you know, in our in our last podcast, Rick, we discussed the, uh, the news of, of the industry, which really spread beyond to just the industry into the mainstream. And that was the collapse of, of yellow trucking. This week, we're going to kind of dissect it a little bit more and talk about why we do believe this is a wake-up call for shippers. Now, before I, I, I ask you a question, you know, I've, I've seen some analysts say, look, this yellow collapse is not the canary in the coal mine moment that, that people think it is. They're saying it's just a one-off and something that happens in trucking when it, there's mismanagement. I happen to disagree. I, I think this is a canary in the coal mine moment. When you, You're talking about 30,000 jobs that are evaporating into thin air. You look at the UPS strike that was narrowly averted. That was another 30,000 jobs. Uh, that almost uh, maybe had not evaporated, but were at least going to be paused for a long time. And there's reasons that we'll get into later about uh, uh, why UPS sort, sort of came in. Now, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the real canary in the coal mine moment was back in 2019. Uh, many of you wrote, will remember the uh, collapse of Celadon Trucking. Uh, they had about 3,000 drivers. And they were one of the biggest trucking companies uh, in the company, too. And they went out of business, uh, I believe, on uh, December 20 or 21. So Merry Christmas, drivers. You're out of a job. I mean, that was awful. And I, I really looked at that point as kind of a marker in time. So let me ask you, Rick. Um, do you think, and we did discuss this a bit last week, is, is this, is this, the wake-up call that shippers need, and also we can expand to you know the issues of what's happening with all the shippers that uh, were working with Yellow because you know they had uh, forty-nine thousand loads a day, seventeen uh, seventeen point five million annual shipments, uh, primarily LTL. I mean, just just that alone is a big impact. And, and to say, oh, this is just a one-off, especially when we discuss all these other incidents that have happened in the last couple of years, I don't think it's one-off. Um, Look, it's going to have an impact on the industry, uh, for sure. Is it, I don't have a crystal ball to say, is this, you know, a tipping point and, you know, into the industry. What I can tell you is, is that it is a, it is a time when shippers have to, and I'm talking to, to upper management and sea level shippers where they start to look at the operational side down into this industry. And I've stated this before, but you know, you can't ignore glaring issues. And this is a glaring issue because, you know, they were large as a mega carrier. And so when you're talking about contractually having a contractual relationship, yeah, there's, there's money that's owed and there is a bankruptcy that's going on and there is contracts that are broke. That That's a financial side of it, right? Uh, but 
in the operational side, they they're having to find somebody to move them the daily shipments, right? And so if they would have been looking at this, really, in my mind, this was was visible back in 2016 when we wrote the original purchase transportation and exposed the amount of freight that was being subcontracted out to the independents. You know, and and I'm hoping that that sometime through all these different conversations that we have, that people start to look at the math that's behind this industry. I mean, it's not comical, but it is to to the aspect that if 97% of this industry is smaller independent and the only way they make money is to move freight, then they have to be moving freight. The question is, how are they getting freight? Because fundamentally, the two things that happen in this business is a shipper has product that needs to move and the trucking company is the one that contracts and moves that freight. So I think it's, it is time that, that people start to recognize the industry. Now, a system and technology can give them all the level of comfort that they want to do with and, and to deal directly with the independent network. That wasn't here and, and at our fingertips in, say, 2016 when we started, when we were, you know, at the infancy stage of building this direct network. But today, it's mature enough in the network that this data and data in the supply chain is what's going to drive the future. And companies are going to be looking at and, and should be looking at the annual contracted rates and locking up capacity when they're not locking up true capacity because it's really a double brokered load. And now they're subjecting themselves to the independent market when they could be going direct with the independent market, getting real data on the independent market and dealing with a, a carrier base that is massively increased in size. That's quite frankly, an independent market, you know, instead of, dealing with a company and subjecting yourself that's got 12,000 trucks. And, you know, if they're moving 49,000 loads a day, right, and they got 12,000 trucks, how does that add up? Where's that other capacity coming from? And those are just questions that if I was at a major shipper and I'm now looking at a market, whereas, okay, we know from the purchase transportation release that 15% of those, at least 15% of them, were being subcontracted. So let's just call it 8,000 loads a day out of the 49,000. Well, if those are now hitting the market, okay, you know that there are increased rates because everybody knows they're going belly up and everybody knows that they need capacity. And so in that, well, the 49,000 loads, that might be 35 to $40 million a day in freight costs, freight spend. And so now if you take a, you know, a 15% to 20% increase in that, you're talking about six to eight to $10 million a day in increased cost. Somebody is going to absorb that cost. Well, who's absorbing that? The shipper. Because they're not going to the independent market and saying, we're going to give you the rates, right? It is the people that's managing this that are now subcontracting to the independent, probably on an increased number, but they're doing it at a brokered rate because they can. So, you know, these companies now that are that are out there trying to bind 
you know, carriers to move it, really that they're at the mercy. And now they're, and really they're at the point of on-demand capacity to the network. Well, the network is the independent. And, and somebody eventually is going to wake up and go, this system is the future. Because all of these issues, right, that are labor-intensive are now managed to a system. And, and the system can give the data comfort behind any aspect of what they're looking for and deal directly with the people that's actually hauling the freight. And that's the independent carriers. And, you know, let's face it, when shippers are having to hunt for capacity and paying a premium for it, especially, you know, the shippers, for example, that were left abandoned by, by Yellow Freight, um, you know, who do those costs ultimately trickle down to? The consumers, and that's what people really need to understand about the trucking industry is, you know, that this is not a, um, a, a industry that lives in its own bubble. Uh, it affects all of us. Um, so, look, I'm not trying to disparage the entire trucking industry when I say it's basically swallowed up by chaos. There's plenty of good trucking companies out there, plenty of good mega trucking companies out there, good brokers out there, but the fact is. This industry for at least three decades has been mired in chaos and the brokers are largely to blame for that because they need chaos to survive. That's their business model. I mean, without chaos, they, they are rendered obsolete. So to me, that's that's one more example of, of you know, why I think that not not the entire industry necessarily, but a significant part of the industry is really a house of cards and shippers are, are figuring this out. I mean, you know, in the case of Yellow, it was their their own drivers, unionized drivers, Teamsters, uh, who, who really drove the final nail in Yellow's coffin. Um, and boy, has there been a lot of finger pointing recently, but Yellow is still furious at the union for pushing bad press out. And that bad press is what caused all the shippers to just fly away. I mean, it was almost like a run on a bank, you know, or, or like a stock market crash where everyone is panic selling. Um, and, and that actually also impacted the UPS negotiations because uh, it's just the threat of a strike for UPS is what caused them to say, look, let's just get this contract down because when the threat of a strike uh, came up with UPS, Shippers started bailing on them, too, to the tune of $200 million. Earlier this week, they had a, a, a earnings report with their uh, shareholders, and they expected the, uh, an increase of 12.8%. Uh, I don't know if, if that was for the whole year, but uh, in, in their shareholders' call, they dropped their expectation of full percent to 11.8%. It's a big drop. So, um, again, why I think this is... Uh, time is so critical is the trust factor for shippers because traditionally they have just trusted the brokers, trusted these big carriers to get the job done. And now we're seeing how easily these cards can fall. Do you agree with that? I mean, I think the trust factor is the number one factor in the industry on both sides. I think it is on the carrier side, on the independents, there's a massive amount of in, of mistrust, right? And no trust. 
and we fight that into the solution that we're trying to bring to the market because companies and even technology companies that we've been compared to for, you know, a decade, you know, and companies has quite frankly raised $930 million or a billion dollars and just massive amounts of money, um, you know, that use the term shipper carrier direct. In reality, it was a broke electronic broker model and the independents, you know, felt that because they did again, it, it was starving off the industry that's actually doing the work. And so the trust is on the shipper side because now, you know, they're going to have to start looking at their operation. And, you know, just think if this would have been mm, a mid-November to mid-December type of bankruptcy. And what would that impact be? Because when, if you, let's say it's middle of December and, and this happens and people miss commitments on, you know, Christmas gifts, that is an impact that is 50 times what this is. And not just monetarily. It is, it is you know, people missing stuff that, that because they've made over commitments and now it's impacting their, their daily lives, right? So the supply chain, everything begins and ends on a truck. And so it's, I always think that's kind of a little bit comical too. And they go, okay, the trucking is 75% or 92% or whatever the percent you do, you, you see of truck. Look, man, trucking is a hundred percent of everything because you, how do you get freight to a ship? If you don't truck it there, how do you get freight to an airline? If you don't truck it there, how do you get it to a rail and off the rail? If you don't truck it there, right? So trucking is something that, if it collapses, let's say the 97%, let's say, would get fed up. And most of those guys would never do that. But just let's just put into it. Let's, let's see what that would look like. I mean, you would have a devastated country in a week in all aspect. And so technology is now in place and you're going to see in the next five years a paradigm shift into the way that the daily movements happen in transportation, in the supply chain, from raw material to finished products. And you're going to see the network start to grow and the network start to become efficient. And quite frankly, 10 years from now, you know, you're going to see a lot more efficiency in this, in this network that exists today. Now, I just want to bring up UPS one more time because here's what they had to do to keep their operations running because they were in a panic because, again, there was like a run on the bank where their shippers were, were starting to flee. This contract that they gave the drivers is wow. I mean, it's a wow moment for me. Um, their average driver, their average full-time driver is going to earn 170000 annually. And we're talking about, uh, I believe, close to 30,000 drivers. They're also getting better health care and other benefits. Um, and that's up from uh, 145,000 that, that they're getting paid now. To me, I have two questions. I mean, when you see these, these company drivers, um, you know, benefiting from a contract that's going to pay them 170 grand a year, when the average trucker pay in this country is about 55,000. There's a huge inequity there be, between drivers that I think has to be 
addressed. And congratulations if you're a company driver, congratulations if you got a great contract. But when one driver is getting paid 175000 a year and another driver is, is working his tail off to make 55000 a year, and a lot of times, let me ask you this, out of, out of those drivers, you know, UPS doesn't have all their own trucks. So they have all their drivers earning 175000 When they subcontract out to the little guy, do you think they're paying them the equivalent of what would add up to 175000 Well, I mean, you know, let, let's be fair. That, that's not all truckload, and that's the stat that we're looking at on the truckload side. These are, these are partials. They have, you know, movements and packaging and things like that. You know, we would have to, to dissect that to then see how much of that, you know, pay is in there. But there is, you know, trucks that, that move truckload movements, you know. Um, and, you know, my brother was one. My brother worked 37 years at UPS and drove, you know, he ran the Chicago to Bloomington route. And, you know, um, and he worked there, you know, his whole, basically his whole career, you know. And, and so, you know, yes, he was an over the road, but it was a, it was a really a, a drop and hook and, and a scheduled, you know. So to compare UPS to the market, I, I don't, I don't see how we could do that. Um, and because it's a different business model and they, they move a different kind of product and they move a different, um, you know, in the, point of the pay though to the independent guys yes that is unjustly to what they get paid right um because they've taken the risk you know a person that's working at the unionized place doesn't have equipment costs he doesn't have a truck payment he doesn't have a trailer payment he doesn't have all these other things now he works for a company so there's a different lost freedom if you will compared to an independent person uh, but the economics shouldn't be that far off balance. And I think that to answer your question, yes, they do hire outside independent carriers to move, you know, loads um, because the volume, it's a substantial amount that they have. But those are contracted rates for a rate per mile that's in advance. And, you know, they build that in their business mile. And, you know, quite frankly, they pay a fair rate. It's not, you know, that that isn't something that they do do. You know, they they. And that, that's why it's, you know, that's really not part of what we would say is a yellow collapse, you know, because that, that had a, a different kind of impact on, you know, the industry than what UPS is. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, every case has its its own set of circumstances and, and uh, you know, in variables or variables, um, but... You know, it's, it, we should point out that, you know, even as far as yellow comes uh, and the shippers that put a lot of trust in them, uh, Home Depot is their biggest creditor. They left uh, Home Depot $2 million, uh, uh in terms of re accounts receivable. Uh, Home Depot is not going to get that. Second was... Um, I thought Amazon was first. You're right. You're right. I got that wrong. Amazon was first with two million, which of course Amazon is just as as big a name as, as uh, Home Depot, bigger actually. Um, Amazon 
was owed two million that they're not going to get. Home Depot, uh, one point seven million. They had a hundred thousand creditors, a uh, billion dollars in liabilities. So that's just yellow. That's just yellow. Um, okay, so so can we talk about that just for a second? Because that's that's an interesting point. Because you know, in our model, when you know a shipper registers, they have options in order to. But we've integrated a direct payment model, and um, you know, taking us out of the equation for a second. But let's just look at the industry itself. There's a lot of fraud, and there is a lot of of you know non-payment when you know carriers haul loads for brokers. I'm not saying 100%, and like you said, I'm not saying every broker's bad. But there is a substantial amount of daily loads that never get paid to these carriers that haul it. And and in our model, that can't happen because we guarantee payment to the independent carrier. Well, how do we do that? Well, the payment is secured at the time the rate confirmation goes to that carrier, and it's held in escrow. And the payment options are different ones that are out there in any electronic process, you know, debit, credit card, or ACH, or, or you can set up a line of credit, you know, and we have that partnership that the shipper can to provide liquidity. The point I'm making is, is that, you know, a carrier needs to be paid for the work that he's doing, right? Amazon, they need to be paid for the work that they're doing. And setting up these 30, 60, 90 day payment terms that shippers have out there, you know, um, I had a buddy that a trucking company that during the 2008 collapse and the automotive wrote it off, they just wrote off receivables. Well, there were 60 days worth of receivables that he lost, you know. Um, and so in, in this electronic world, I believe the future is, is when you order something and you, you have to pay at the time that services are rendered. And that payment has to be secured because the risk has to be, why should you be able to have such a negative impact on a company? And, you know, th these Amazons, you know, it's bad, but it's not going to affect them. You know, Home Depot's, it's bad, but it's not going to affect them. When you take out that kind of money, say $2 million, and you take it out to, let's say, you know, 30, 40 companies, and you have a dollars $100,000 impact into those companies, that would be devastating to those companies, you know, because they've already had to, you know, purchase or, you know, buy a receivable, which is, which they have to factor that, right? So that receivable is bought by a company that is advancing this independent guy or the independents, the money. And then we'll take a premium for that. So give them a portion of it and then pay them the remainder when the receivables. So now if, if that receivable is now wrote off, right? So now you have these independents that's already done the work. They've already paid the gas, they paid the fuel, they paid the maintenance, they paid themselves, they paid, you know, everything else that takes to run an operation. And they're waiting for their money in 30, 60, 90 days to then for this company to go bankrupt. And now, you know, it can devastate the end. That, in my mind, has a potential to be the most devastating thing to the industry in the future if we don't correct this terms. Because if there's a sector in the industry that gets hit and it has a massive impact like that on the industry, that could really, that could be devastating. And so just a few seconds ago, you talked about um, broker fraud. Now, Unfortunately, this is something else that is going to erode trust in the entire system because at least one an analyst is saying broker fraud 
is the worst it has ever been right now, uh, mid-2023. Um, you know, the uh, uh, guys will get together and uh, they'll set up a brokerage, get a bond, apply for authority, set up as a legit company, and they'll either start double brokering or they'll take the load themselves off a load board uh, and, and then broker it back to someone else. Um, so just as a matter of reference, it's just one more uh, ding on, on the trust factor. So uh, look, let's, let's, let's talk about what our solution is. Um, you know, I, I think that ultimately we want 100% of, of freight movements to run through the uh, direct network. Um, it's going to be a slow turn for shippers to change that mindset. That is what our ultimate topic is today. Um, do you see lane access right now as at least a safety net uh, for these shippers of all sizes uh, in, in which they can actually compare what they get from a direct network and what they get from brokers or mega carriers, et cetera? Well, I think it's a safety net for both the shippers and the carriers. And, you know, on the shipper side, yes, they can they can build access and unlimited amount of contractual direct relationships with the independent carriers. And they can start to build their lanes for capacity and the network has ability to communicate with these carriers and they can have communications directly with each other. So yes, it is a safety net so that, and that's why, you know, I said every shipper should join lane access. Everyone. Why? Because they have ability to connect and contract directly with who they're going to do business with, which is the independent carrier. Right? So on the carrier side, you know, this is a safety net because they can run their normal business and they can start to build the same thing a shipper does direct contractual relationship with shippers and have visibility into that. And, and what they gain is beyond just having access to freight that they can't get to today, because if you're an independent guy, you can't call any of these shippers, your, your Amazons <clears throat> or your targets or your Walmarts or any of the rest of these guys go, Hey, I just hauled a load for you. I'd like to go direct. They can't manage the process. Well, now they can. Well, that's a game changer. And so Amazon should register. Target should register. Walmart should register. <clears throat> and start building visibility in an independent market. And go to the network and query the network and immediately see the different data points that's, that we have integrated in the carrier aspect and start profiling them and building their profile and building their carrier base. <clears throat> so that if something does happen in six months, a year, or two years, You've got access to capacity whenever you need it. And then the individual independent carriers, what they gain is they gain a network in a marketplace because by the end of this year, we're going to have a strong truck parking. We're going to have intelligent fuel. We're going to have an insurance option. We're going to have a, an equipment leasing. We're going to have direct freight. <clears throat> and so they have an ability to get a lot of financial aspects that are either saving or increase in profit margins within the network. And the pool effect of building a single place that is a network marketplace for these independents is where they're going to start making that kind of unionized money <clears throat> because every aspect of what they do is basically a cost. And if they can start to narrow those costs and increase profitability at the same time, then they're going to start to see 
that kind of return as as what these mega these bigger players are making. Now we've talked about this before, but I think it's worth repeating for uh, the sake of shippers who are looking at lane access. One of the biggest objections or or maybe fears that they have is trying to contract with hundreds or thousands of different carriers at once. They don't see how that can be done. Um, and you know, uh, another one is is just the sheer amount of of human work. They think human capital that that's going to be involved. They think there's going to be extra work that that's going to consume their transportation department. Can you address those two issues? Yeah, I mean, the work is the system doesn't work, <clears throat> right? They're never going to get away from managing their freight because that's their freight. They have to keep communication and they have to see, make sure they got picked up and delivered what they're supposed to get delivered and then and then pay that. That's that's transportation management. That'll never go away. Um, but they can do it a lot more efficient and they can go and connect with directly who they need to have a contract in a in relationship with and that's the independent market. In, in, in building this direct relationship, it's not labor intensive. This network is not going to scale scale on human capital. It's going to scale with artificial intelligence and automation. It already is. And and <clears throat> what you have by with a shipper of joining the network, you have access to data that quite frankly you don't have today. The reason you have fear in the independent market is because you don't have any visibility into real data. Because the data that you're analyzing today is EDI or various different other things that are out there that are outdated. And it's input. And you don't even know, like Target or, or Amazon, right? They don't even know how many of those, how many of those invoices, 2 million went to an independent carrier, right? How many independent carriers are currently hauling their freight? If I was a upper management of, of Walmart or Amazon or, or Target or any of the rest of them, right? I'd want to know, what is my percentage of independent carriers today that are hauling our freight? They can't tell you that. And these are massive companies. So if you want to peek under the hood and you want to start analyzing your company and you want to start analyzing your profitability, you need to look at who you're dealing directly with. And if you're not contractually doing it, a system now. See, a system wasn't built a decade ago to provide to have the conversation we're having today. The reason we're able to have it is because there is a system that will facilitate all this. You can now, it, it's not going to, in 10 years, if you're a shipper, you're not going to, you're not even going to realize, you're not going to know how many carries you have a contract because it doesn't matter because every carry is under contract because the shippers monitor it. I mean, the networks monitor every, every carry is under contract. All the insurance is being monitored, load level monitoring, data on every load, direct payment. So you don't have any in, in, in direct communication with the driver. So there's no manual process in that that you're going to have to scale with the call center to be able to manage this, right? And so the future in the supply chain is direct and data-driven performance because your rates as an independent carrier is going to be based on your performance. It's just like a credit score. Your lending is based on your performance. It's based on your credit score. If you got an 800, you can probably go get anything, right? Because you've proven that you can do this. If you're a carrier and you've got a strong data-backed performance in the network, you're probably going to get access to any freight you want. And you're going to get good rates because they want to deal with premium carriers. That's the future. And I think there's a, a misconception 
that using a system like lane access would uh, actually increase their headcount. It's going to decrease their headcount. Okay, it's it's going to going to uh, lower operational costs, lower overhead. That's fact. So uh, as we start to uh, wrap up here, Rick, uh, I actually wanted to ask ask you about a, a new feature we've uh, added to Lane Access, which is the shipper's ability to add lanes. Can you describe that a little bit and why it's beneficial? Yeah, I mean, most of uh, if you go to a load board or you go, and this is kind of a bridge we had to build as we're transitioning the direct model, and 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 that is a lot of them post origin destination of loads and equipment type. That's you know, it's a refrigerated load. It's you know. And a lot of carriers will query looking for, I'm looking for a 60 mile radius out of LA going to Chicago, right? And so having the lane feature allows shippers to start to build visibility into qualified equipment and carriers that run those lanes so that they can they can put a lane in there and tender it when they have enough carriers they feel like, or you know, they can bring their outside carriers into their lanes through the network and now everything's digitalized in a single place. So it's really just the bridge of how the industry's done today so they can have that experience and build them direct con contractual relationships and access to them carriers whenever they need it. And this is a feature that allows them to do that. And right. let me let me ask one last point. So, and it's free for the shipper to join and it's free for the shipper to post their lanes and build direct contractual relationship. They're only charged whenever they actually tender a load. So... That's why I said every shipper should join because it's like joining the internet. Everybody should join the internet because there's access to information that you may need. And every shipper should join lane access because they'll get access to capacity whenever they need it. There you have it. Every shipper should join lane access. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Rick, for another great conversation. And thank you for joining us for this uh, latest episode of Let's Be Direct. Make sure to stay safe out on the roads there, and we will see you next time. Take care.